Steve, it's a it's a double week or a double episode week to celebrate the national championship. That's that's well. Oh, we're celebrating. Oh, we're celebrating we're Michigan's celebrating. national championship. We, with a double episode. We are. We are. We are celebrating the end of college football season. How about that? Is that is that that's a better good. way to put it? A okay. double episode for the end of college football season. That's okay. great. All right. This is our second of, of two episodes. Uh, the other episode has all the normal Penn State stuff. Uh, this one has abnormal, but in a good way, Penn State stuff, particularly one Penn Stater that I've thoroughly enjoyed reading and paying attention to his career over the years. Michael Weinreb joins us. Um, a great interview talks about his upbringing or, you know, why he does the kind of the sub stack, why he does the little bit of the freelancer, what it's like to write a book, um, his writing process, his niche, if you will. Um, so go ahead and take a listen to that. And uh, we'll be back to bookend the interview after this. All right. Steve, our uh, booking agent is working hard already early this year. We're going to pay him double. Um, we're going to pay him double this year. That's that's what we're going to do. Uh, today, we are joined by author, writer, journalist. Uh, can I say actor since you've been in ESPN documentaries? Well, I, maybe like talking head. I don't know okay, if I call myself head. an actor. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. mean, I mean that, you know, that's what the next step is to become an actor. But, okay. you know, for now, let's just let's not go there yet. Yeah. All right. And also Penn Stater, Michael Weiner. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Great. I'm great. I'm excited that you're here. I have a thousand questions for you. I am a big fan as I sit here with one oh, of your books. I came. I come prepared. Um, so thank you for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. All right. I want to. I want to talk through what I read most recently from you, which is your Substack. I subscribe to that. I enjoy that. I think that's where I want to spend a little bit of our conversation, at least to start with. And the the niche that you kind of have carved out for yourself, you know, especially with at least this book, one of your other books as well, and then in the Substack is kind of exemplified in the title, a newsletter about sports history and culture. Um, why is that your niche and, and why pursue that? I have no idea how that became my niche. It was just something that sort of pulled all my interests together. I think I... Actually, when I was in at Penn State, I hated history. So, um, but then you know you get older and you start realizing that history exists and that it keeps changing and that um, it repeats itself, as they say. Um, so I kind of gravitated more toward it. And um, as I was writing for various places, particularly about sports and about college football over the years, I would start writing these retrospective pieces because I thought, well, nobody's written the story of the the Len Bias story. Nobody's written this story about, you know, where is, you know, Michael Ray Richardson or some other basketball player that everybody's forgotten about now. Um, and then 30 for 30 started coming out around the same time. So, you know, my stories dovetailed with a lot of their stories at the time when I was working for ESPN. Um, so it just kind of made sense to go down that rabbit hole and then I kept going and then, you know, the pandemic hit and I was like, what, what am I doing? So I just started, uh, you know, like everybody else in the world, I just started a Substack during the pandemic and I thought, okay, what do I want this to be? And it just made sense to kind of write about um, this convergence of sports and culture and history and just sort of figuring out week to week, trying to understand what was going on in the world at the present moment 
through that lens is just, it's kind of just a way for me to make sense of the world more than anything else. And I think that's what the newsletter is and was. It's just, it's just like everything is so weird now. Everything is so messed up. You know, we're dealing, we're going through this crazy time in the world. And it's like, okay, how can I chip away at that and try to make sense of it? And it was like, okay, let me write about some football game in 1978 that maybe has some oblique connection to something, some larger thing in the big picture. So that that was basically how it started and how it's evolved. And I have no idea what's going to happen with it next, but it's been fun to kind of just play it out and see where it goes. I think part of what I enjoy about it is you you tie those things together so well and, and you can kind of set a picture of this is what happened. This is why it's relevant today. But why It's probably going to sound like a vague question, but why are sports so ingrained in our culture in a way that it allows you to write through history um, or history through sports? I mean, I think that that's a really good question. And I don't really, you're right. I don't really know what the answer is either. You know, I mean, I think it just goes back to the foundation of America. You know, I think when you look at college football, that's what has always fascinated me about it is that it goes back to, you know, the civil war basically and post-civil war and even pre-civil war a little bit. And, you know, baseball goes back, I think even further. So um, it's just sort of ingrained in American culture in a way. There's all these themes about, you know, uh, masculinity and, and, and politics. And, um, as it moves forward, you know, you get all this stuff that dovetails with presidential campaigns and with, um, sort of larger cultural trends. So it just feels like it's all there and it feels like, um, you know, I don't want to disparage sports writing because there's obviously a lot of good sports writing out there, but I just don't think a lot of people think that way, sort of think big picture, partly because most sports writers don't have time to do that or they don't have, you know, they, they have kind of have to cover it from moment to moment. Um, I'm lucky in that I don't have to do that anymore. I have enough weird projects going on that I can just kind of look at it from the big picture, especially with this newsletter. So I was going to ask specifically about that. I, I feel like, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you've done relatively the freelancer freelancer route um, for a chunk of your career. Um, and it, I think that at least allows you to take a second. You haven't necessarily been on a beat per se, um, you know, covering a specific team or even really, you, you write about college football a lot, but you're not necessarily covering college football the way somebody does it day in and day out. How does that help your creativity? How does that help help, help your storytelling? How does that kind of help you think as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I think it's what I just said, right? It's like I'm able to think about bigger picture issues. I'm able to think about, okay, how does this tie into something that's going on in the culture? Um, I'm able to sort of you know, do sort of a broader examination. So, you know, whether I'm writing for myself or whether I'm writing for, you know, the ringer or someplace like that, it's like, um, I, I can kind of take, you know, a month to think about these things and to, to write about these things and to sort of do like a reported essay on, you know, what does this whole Deion Sanders thing mean, you know, or what does, you know, the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing actually 
mean? What's the what's the like bigger picture? How does it tie into what's going on in the culture rather than having to be like to j just have to chase those stories from day to day, which is kind of the only way to survive as a as a sports writer these days, you know, which is not why I got into that profession in the first place. And so the further it's gone in that direction, the more I've been like, I just want to go in a different direction, which isn't always easy financially. But, you know, for me, it's like I'm just not built to do that. I don't think I was ever built to do that, to, to kind of do, I, I admire people who are built to do that and to cover a beat and to do that, you know, cover the same beat for 20 years or 30 years, because they're the ones who's, who I'm mining information from, for my stories. A lot of the time, you know, I'll, I'll give them a call or email them and be like, help me out here. What, what do you see? You know? But I think it's, for me, that's just not, I don't know. I just, I just find myself thinking about the bigger picture of things rather than the, the, the kind of day-to-day -day stuff more and more. You talked about figuring out the world kind of week to week. Do you, do you know where you're going with the newsletter from week to week or every other week? Like, I mean, is it really a one at a time kind of processing through it? Yeah, no, I have, I have, you know, I read it every Friday and I was kind of screwing around today and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to write about. And so something will hopefully occur to me tonight or tomorrow. And I'll be like, okay, I guess that's what I'm writing about. You know, and sometimes you go down a lot of dead ends and stuff like that. Some weeks, you know, I'll have something in mind. Sometimes there's a big, you know, like this, like last week, there was a national championship game. So, you know, and I'm still, we can talk about Michigan if we have to, but um, I'm, you know, so, so sometimes there's something to, peg it to that and then and i'm like okay what angle am i gonna find here that that makes sense um but i like setting that deadline for myself too and being like okay i have to write something this week um even though i don't have to but it's like i i want to you know i want my brain to be working like that i want my brain to be moving and thinking like that because otherwise you just get complacent you know so so no i have no real roadmap or anything if you guys have any roadmap any ideas for me feel free to no i just didn't know if you had a list you were working <laughs> to and it, and, it, and sports kind of keeps on giving right like i mean the the florida state alabama stuff the wonderful job with with, with texas and, and and penn state tangentially it's kind of history repeating itself and how it ties in and you're able to frame that i think is what makes it it wonderful yeah i mean i think i, I don't even know how those I don't know. I, I just, I guess my synapses just fire weird. You know, it's like, I just, I don't think in a straight line a lot of the time. So it's like, sometimes I'm just, it's just like, I'm going to try this. And there are definitely ones where I'm like, I don't know if that works. I, I don't know. This might be just so oblique and weird that nobody knows what I'm talking about. But I'm just like, what can I add to the conversation that other people aren't? You know, that's, that's the only way I can think about it is like, um, you know, whatever the big story is of the moment or whatever, I'm just thinking about. And then sometimes like, like this week, like I said, I don't have a topic. So sometimes I'm just like, okay, let me find something that happened 40 or 50 years ago that people might not know about that I can just kind of dig deep into, spend a few hours going through the archives on, you know, newspapers.com or whatever. And just being like, there are probably... 80% of the people who read this newsletter who have never heard of this, you know, somebody like Darian who might be like, you know, I wasn't even close to being born back then. So it's like, 
you know, I can share something with you that maybe you didn't know about. I was going to ask you specifically about that part of the process. This, even your book here, it has a bibliography at the end of it. How do you kind of do your research? What are your tips and tricks, if you will, uh, when it comes to that? Um, newspapers.com is pretty, is pretty handy, you know, just in terms of like, just sort of looking up. Sometimes it's just like, you know, Googling or not Googling, but going on there and looking up somebody's name and then maybe looking up a word that I have in my head, you know, that might go along with it. Um, so, um, things like that, you know, obviously just sort of Googling and seeing what's already out there and what's already been written about that subject and then sort of thinking like, okay, how does that parallel with what's going on in the current moment? Or how does that, you know, parallel with what I'm thinking about this, you know, situation or the story or how it resonates, you know, 20, 30, 40, a hundred years later, whatever, you know, um, it's, again, it's not a straight line, but it's like, you know, there's just, it's so much easier to do research. Like, you know, you're, you're too young to remember like the pre-internet days, but like when I was working at the collegiate, it was like right before the internet, you know? So I don't even remember what we did. I guess we went to those big books upstairs, right, Steve? Yep. We go to those big archives books yep. upstairs and like page through them page by page. And I'd be reading like, oh, there's Tom Verducci's story from, you know, 1980, whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, but there was like, and then you just have to go to the library and check books out and, and, um, but I love that. I love it. I love like I'm, I'm hoping that my next book will be pretty research heavy and pretty history heavy. Um, I'm, I, have a, I have one idea that I'm kind of digging into that's not totally non-sports related at all. But um, the research for me is almost the most fun part at this point. Let's talk I was about just going to ask about research and writing. Yeah. Sorry, doing okay. like, if the research is the most fun what's enjoyable about the writing because it's it's your ability i think for me to insert yourself without inserting yourself right making a comment making a making a, an editorial judgment or, or setting something in context that makes your writing really strong right whether it's commenting on you know vacating victories in college football and putting time back in a bottle you know those kind of lines that, that make your stuff work how close is the writing process to the research process if the research process is the best part for you I don't know. I mean, I think the writing, it's like the writing. I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about it. For me, it's like going to the gym where it's like, I hate it and I don't want to do it. And then I start doing it. And then I, I look up at the clock and it's been two hours and I have, you know, 800 words or a thousand words. And I'm just like, where the hell did that come from? You know? So um, you just sort of get in a groove with it and and you just go and then i overwrite and then i pair myself back and then maybe i underwrite and i'm like okay i need to i need to add a little uh, rhythm to this and a little flow to this um and that's that's just i think that's just how the process works for me now and i think a lot of it for young writers I, you know i don't know what your listeners listenership is comprised of if there's a lot of young writers or anything like that but i think it's a lot of it's just finding your voice you know and just sort of figuring out what how can i differentiate myself what can i how can i write and what can i say and what's the rhythm of those these words and you know what kind of language can i use that sort of fits me 
and that is unique. Um, and that took a long time to figure out, like, you know, go back and you look at my stuff from the collegian and it's like, it's awful, you know, but it's like, you're trying to, you're trying to figure stuff out. You're trying to be like, okay, look, how can I experiment? How can I play around with this? Um, and then you just keep building on that. And then eventually, um, I can't remember exactly what the question was, Steve, but I guess it was just like, how does the writing process work? And I don't even know, is there even an, I mean, nobody knows how the writing process well, I don't know if there's right? an answer, but I, I, yeah. I was, it's, it's interesting that you enjoy the research so much because you write so well, I guess was what, what prompted my question. Well, I think because I feel like I have to have that foundation of research, like even if I'm just writing a story, like I'm doing an interview tomorrow just for this website that I write for because they pay decent money. Um, and it's fine. It's like you get to inter in interview interesting people. But I'm paranoid about doing the research and being like, do I have enough here? Do I have enough to ask questions? Do I feel like when I'm going into something that I have that foundation behind me? Because if I don't, then I feel like I'm like, I'm like, um, you know, Wiley Coyote walking out on the, out on the tightrope and I'm like, there's nothing underneath me, you know? So it's like, you have to have that. Um, I think it's just like a security blanket. Makes sense. How does that writing process differ when you're writing a book versus an essay or an essay story or even the newsletter? Yeah. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a little while since I've written a book, but I feel like, um, you know, I think it's a similar process though. I think, I think it's, it's, you have to map things out a little more. Um, whenever I'm working on like a bigger project, like I'm, I'm working on like a, again, a non-sports related podcast. So, and I'm working with a couple other people on that. So that's interesting too. Cause it's like, you kind of have to iterate and then reiterate and kind of keep, keep rewriting and <clears throat> keep re-recording and keep finding new kind of rabbit holes to go down. Um, so you just do a lot more of it when you're doing something longer. I think when I'm doing something shorter, especially with the, with the newsletter, um, I almost want it to feel a little bit more like not off the cuff, but maybe a little bit, you know, where it's like, let's, we're just, we're just playing around yeah. here. We're having fun. You know, you just want to, you just want to screw around a little bit, you know? Um, it's like a, it's like an outlet for me. And if anybody reads it, that's cool, you know? Um, but it's mostly just like, let me just try this idea and see where it goes. And then there's been a couple of them where I'm like, oh, I, mean, I could turn this into something bigger someday, you know? Um, and I think with the book or something like that, you just have to, you just have to have some sense of where you're going. Um, you have to have a little bit of a, of an outline, even if it's just like, you know, a post-it note or something like that. Um, just a little bit of more of a sense of like, what am I doing with this? And, and how am I going to sustain this for however many pages or however many episodes or whatever else? The, um, I think you, you talked about that. And I think you talk about like, you talk about this in the book a little bit. You talk about it in some of your writing. And I went back and, and read a couple of your really older columns. Um, and so I want to ask about this since this is a Penn state podcast, how did kind of your growing up, especially particularly in state college area um, at that, at kind of the crux of Penn state's really big boom of growth kind of shape you as a writer did it, and how did it impact you? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons I became a writer was because 
um, you know, there were like two, there were like two paths I went down and one was like, I want to write for like mad magazine and, um, um, you know, write the next hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. And that's just like, you know, satire, sci-fi dork realm. And then there was like, but I also love football and I love Penn state football and I love sports. Um, so then it was like reading sports illustrated and then it was reading, um, the center daily times and reading like Ron Bracken, who was like the columnist there, you know, and he would write this, I think it was him who wrote the, the humor column. Maybe it was somebody else who wrote the humor column. But there was like, you know, there was a humor column. There was all just this all sorts of um just reading people writing about stuff that I had seen and games that I had been to. And it was like, oh, you can do that. You can kind of write, you can kind of just share your own perspective on this thing. You can kind of tell a story in a way that maybe nobody else has told a story. Um, so that was really, yeah, those, that was really what kind of, I don't know what kind of writer I would be, or if I'd be a writer, if I hadn't grown up in state college, um, it was just like, here's this like great narrative, great story unfolding right here in town. So it was like, you know, I'm just going to follow it down that road and see what happens. We talk about websites and, and, and places you work for, cause it, it works for something you're interested in, it pays well, whatever. When people are hiring you or working with you, what are they getting you for? Like, what, why, why are they partnering with, I mean, not, but what, what <laughs> are, you, are, they, what are, are your you strengths? Are you accusing me? No, no. Yeah, exactly. Oh. What are your strengths and what are they saying? Hey, we're getting Michael and we're getting this in the deal because he's on our team in this project or writing for us. Yeah. I mean, I think just from a practical perspective, it's like meet deadline and, you know, turn things <laughs> in on time and not have too many typos. So that always helps. But it's a higher bar than that, right? I mean, realistically. No, it's it for, for some places, yeah. For some places, <laughs> it isn't. You know, for some places, it's just like, okay, let's just get this done and get the paycheck. Um, and then for other places, yeah. I mean, I think it's like, okay, this guy has a perspective that maybe we're not going to get from somebody else. I would hope, you know? Mm -hmm. I would hope that's why. Um, and that, um, that I'm going to kind of look at things in a different way then i'm going to kind of see things in a different way um so yeah i mean i guess that's why i don't really know why you know yeah but I, as long I as they keep asking i guess that's all that matters right i mean yeah that's the thing it's it's uh it's getting more and more um tough to <laughs> to find those people in this world and in the way that the journals of business and the just the whole business of writing is going so i guess the more i guess the more you can differentiate yourself, the better, you know. Was writing for Grantland as awesome as people made it out to be? As people made it out to be like this epic, incredible place to be a part of. I mean, it was it was cool. It was cool. I mean, there are a couple of great places that I've been able to write for. One of them was ESPN before Grantland because I had an editor named Jay Lovinger who was like this legendary guy who passed away a few years ago um, who would, you know, he worked at like sport magazine in the eighties. So he was working with like, you know, the Richard Ford, the novelist and like all these like incredible people. Um, and he would just be like, you know, you would have a conversation with him before you started your story. 
and it would be this sort of crazy in-depth conversation about like, okay, what direction are we going to take the story in? You know, where can this thing go? And then he would just be like, just go do it. You know, just go spend six months researching the Len Bias story and, you know, telling it in a way that sort of ties everything together or go interview Bo Jackson and like, you know, tell the story about him. And then Grantland was kind of an extension of that. Grantland, you got to be even crazier because it was like, what is this thing? Nobody knows what this thing is. Nobody knows how long it's going to last. Um, even Bill Simmons, I don't think really knew what it was, you know? Um, and at first it was just long form stories. That was the whole idea of it. It was like, we're just going to write 5,000 word stories about the craziest thing you can possibly imagine. And you could just grow your voice and cultivate your voice. So the, yeah, that was, that was pretty great too, you know? And then it sort of started moving faster and moving at the speed of the internet and um and then you know it, it was still it was still a lot of great stuff on there but it was just like there was more of a charm to it i think um but yeah the, the first like that that the first couple of years um were super fun and i just got to do some stuff that i was like i've always just wanted to do this and they were like go ahead go do it go go to you know um, some some tiny school in West Virginia that where the basketball team is scoring 150 points a game and explain why that's happening, you know? So it was just, you could just kind of go off and do these things. And it was, yeah, so that was great. That was great. One particular piece, of, and I think this is how you came on, at least my radar, and, and I think probably a lot of Penn Staters radar at the time was right, right at the, I think it was the week of the scandal week after the scandal, the, the growing up Penn state column um, you, you had written. What do you remember about that column? What do you remember about the reaction to that column? Um, and, and kind of what, how was that difficult for you to write since you were so connected to Penn state, um, you know, at that time? Yes. And no, like it was hard to write and to think about and then i just sat down and wrote it in an hour because i was like this is like this is my life this is what i grew up with you know and it was like it just flowed right out you know um so i just sort of knew exactly what people were feeling because i knew what i was feeling you know and i knew what everybody in the town was feeling because i'm talking to everybody and talking to my parents and you know and just sort of realizing we we had no at that point we didn't even know what the impact of it was i don't think paterno had even been fired yet um but like the scope of it hadn't come out because remember you you just i mean i don't know i mean most people remember but it was like oh it was like a weekend and then it was like joe paterno's a legend and then it was like whoa everything has changed the narrative just blown up you know and there was the you know the the protests and the riots or whatever you want to call them outside and it was like all of a sudden i'm sitting at home and i'm watching like my hometown on cnn and they're acting like it's beirut or something you know um so it was just so crazy that i think i was just like i have to explain to people what this place is and then it's not like some sinister awful evil place but it's complicated like everything else you know and so yeah i just like pounded it out you know i'd like i said and i think it was like in an hour or something when you when you write about penn state and you don't do it a, a a like it's not your beat but you do it frequently enough because you are removed 
in a way from the beat, do you feel like you have a different perspective on, on Penn state football than the, uh, an Audrey Snyder or Ben Jones who are great writers and we love them, but do you think you have a different perspective on the, on Penn state football? I would assume so just cause I'm not covering it day to day. You know, I, I'm friends with like Dave, Dave Jones at Harrisburg. I know he's retiring soon, but you know, every so often we'll text about, you know, football or basketball or whatever. Um, and I think he probably has a more, more cynical point of view because he's dealing with it from day to day, you know? Um, so there, those, those kind of folks are probably viewing things through a more jaundiced eye. I'm 3000 miles away. So I'm like, you know, and I also just feel like maybe it's just getting older, Steve. I don't know where the old guys on the podcast, but it feels like you just get this sense of perspective, you know, where it's like people, people are bitching and moaning about Franklin and I get it and I understand why, but it's also like we're winning 10 games a year. And I'm like, Paterno didn't win 10 games every year. You know, Paterno had some terrible teams. Um, and even back in the eighties, like some of those teams that were between the national championship teams, they were not good. They were not very good at all. You know, um, so I think I probably have that kind of perspective from the historical sense and also just like not dealing with it from day to day. And like, so I don't have to cover it. I don't have to write about it as much. So I can just sit back and be like, I'm enjoying this. You know, I'm just enjoying, I mean, I'm not, I don't enjoy like the <laughs> Ohio state and Michigan games. My girlfriend's like, I have to leave the house because you know, you're insane. But, um, but it's still like, it's an enjoyable experience. You know, it's just like, I have a friend who works for the New York times, but he's been my best friend since first grade, you know, and we just started texting last, last year. I don't know why we waited so long, but now we just text every week during the games and we just bitch and moan about stuff and we'll complain about stuff. But it's like, here's this connection with this kid that I've not, not a kid anymore, but this guy I've known since I was five years old, you know, um, so that's kind of what it means to me now. You know, it's not about like, yeah, I want us to win a national title. I mean, my my dad is in his 80s now. It's like I would like him to have one more national title before before he goes, you know, but it's like, um, I don't know. I, I don't care as much. I think the scandal did. I think the Sandusky, whatever you want to call it, scandal, whatever the Sandusky thing changed my perspective, too. And. I hope it changed some other people's perspectives who follow this program because I mean, we can get into the Michigan stuff and the Michigan stuff is different, a different thing, but it really makes me angry that people view their school with such blinders, you know? And it's just like, what, what are you doing? You know, like it's college football. Like, Get some perspective, man. So uh, that's just how I feel about it now. Yeah. I, I think the Penn State people that have, have been through it probably have that feeling more than some other schools who maybe haven't, right? Who haven't had an issue that became public. It's easier to look at Michigan this year and say, how can, how can, you, how can you not see that elephant there in the room? Like, yeah. how, how are you, how are you missing that? Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, we can, we can go down that. So that, did you tone that, that one down yeah. or was that full on? Like when you, when you wrote the Michigan piece, which made, which made your newsletter, how much of, of what made the newsletter was in the initial draft slash rant and how much did you dial back or add or whatever else? Oh, I probably of... had to dial it back a little bit. 
Because I'm always like, okay, how unfair are you being here? How biased are you being here? You know, you obviously don't have a positive relationship with with Michigan because, you know, for for um, emotional reasons, you know. <laughs> so how can I dial back that emotion? But also um, just point out the hypocrisy and how stupid it is, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I do kind of have to. And then almost admit, you know, I think the piece I wrote last week, I was just like, I don't have a, I don't have an objective perspective here. I know I don't have an objective perspective, but the people who are buying into this crap don't either, you know? So yeah, I think I do. Sometimes I do. If I'm writing about something like that, I'll have to pull it back a little bit. If I start writing about political stuff, I'm always like, okay, I got to pull that back a little bit and make sure like, I'm not just, just, turning into another person who's ranting about politics you know college football is is difficult in that sense because it, it, i mean we all have even the three of us on this podcast have an emotional tie to it whether it be tailgating going to games growing up that that type of thing i i, I think about that a lot um and i think that's i also think on the, the flip side too that's one of the things that makes you know college football fun um all right I want to ask you my one question about the book. Um, I know it's a couple of years hey, old for the now. people who like listen to the sorry. podcast. Can yeah, you mention it, the book? You know, I mean, it it's is, been it is <laughs> sorry. It is seasons of Saturday, a college, a history of college football in 14 games. So you essentially went through kind of sort of an entire season of, of college football in those 14 games, but over the span of a hundred some years. Correct. Correct. What, yeah. Okay. There was only at that time, it was 14 games to win a national championship. Now right. it's 15. Next year it'll be, I don't even know, what 15, we've, 16, we, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Math gets hard. Yeah. Um, is there a game in the last, this what came out 2014-ish, 2015-ish? Is there a game that you would add from between the book coming out to now? Yes, there probably is. And now I can't think of it because you because you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what the identity, kind of the, you know, there's been probably been a couple of Alabama games. Um, I wrote about Saban in the book. Um, but I think I find Saban to be a fascinating character because of how much I think his reputation has changed over the course of the last 15 years or so. Um, he used to just be viewed as this kind of maniacal lunatic, and he still kind of is, but he's also kind of gain this perspective of age that you can see developing over the course of time. So um, I think I wrote about the kick six game, but you know, there's a couple of those, like, I think, I think it would be, it would be interesting to write about, um, was there a really good Alabama, Georgia national title game? I think there was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the one that went to overtime. Yes. Yeah. I think his relationship with Kirby is sort of the mentor protege type of thing and now kirby sort of being seen as this maniacal lunatic um i think that would be super interesting to write about um i sort of love the underdog stories but i can't think of like because i wrote about boise state like has there been any other big so there really hasn't been that mm -hmm. many in the playoff era the playoff era kind of wiped that out you know ucf um, as a team maybe but there wasn't one particular game from that season that stands out yeah, no, not that I can think of. Um, and then obviously, like this year, 
and next year with like the whole Pac-12 thing, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I didn't write, I can't remember. I don't think I wrote about the Cal Stanford game, but, you know, I think it would be interesting. I think I wrote a newsletter that was kind of about Cal Stanford and like just how weird and, you know, like, like you move out to the West, like I moved out to the West coast 10 years ago or so. And it's just different. It's like, people don't care about sports or football in quite the same way, you know, but it's sort of like when you watch it on TV, when you're a kid, when you're watching like USC or something, and you're like, how is it so sunny in November or December, you know? Um, so I think that would be like, like the demise of the Pac-12. Um, it makes us all sad. And it, I think it makes, makes me sad too, you know, that like, there's always been this like regional differentiation in college football that's kind of made it special and we're just we're just losing that um i don't think it's the end i don't think it's the end of the world like some people do but i do think it'd be interesting to write about and just you know kind of think about what is what are those conferences what did they mean and what do they mean now All right. is there a is there a team or a story you haven't written that you want to like a college football one? Yeah, or, or in general. Like, just is, is there something? Because you write a little bit of everything. Is there something on that list that you just haven't had a chance to do yet that you're hoping someday to get the right? I mean, there's a few, you know, like I said, I'm kind of moving. I'm trying to move out of sports a little bit, you know. So sort of there's there's always some historical stories that I come across that I've always kind of wanted to write about. I'm trying to think if there's any Penn State. I feel like I've written everything there possibly is to write about Penn State at this point. Um, but um, yeah, I can't really say um, if there's anything specific. Yeah, that, that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I've been kind of writing, working on like screenplays and stuff too, just hopefully maybe making money on them someday. So sometimes there'll be stories that are inspired by true stories and things like that, you know. Um, but I can't, um, I don't want to say too much because I don't know if they're ever going to go Screenplay anywhere. Screenplay world isn't easier than the sports writing world to to get access to though. No, it? it's terrible. Okay, it's ridiculous. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I need to like um, go camp out at uh, Don Belisario's house and just- uh, <laughs> There you go. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Just just sleep on his doorstep for a couple of nights and see if he'll help me out. But <laughs> That's a plan. You know, that, yep. that's one way to do it, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. World's largest alumni association. There you go. Um, I guess I'll, I want to leave you with this then. Is, is that what's next for you is screenwriting? I know that it's on your, your blog and you kind of allude to it um, or on your website. Um, but is that what's next for you? If I can make any money doing it, sure. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm also working on a podcast that I'm hoping will come out this year. We're shopping it around to some places. It's kind of more nonpartisan political, I'll put it that way. Um, and then um, a book that's – book proposal that's more historical um going back to like the 1950s and then um other than that no i mean if you have any suggestions um i'm, I'm open to them but yeah it's just like the world keeps changing the business keeps changing so it's like i don't i don't know i mean i have no idea you know if somebody came to me and they were like do you want to write whatever i you know some weird format i'd probably be like I sure maybe that's the next big thing. I don't know. I don't know what the next big thing is. 
Um, no, I appreciate the, the that honesty there. Um, you know, for a while there, Substack definitely looked like the next big thing. I hope yours is the next big thing, at least, because I yeah. enjoy reading it. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's not making me a ton of money, but it's the least like, you know, I think, I think it's also the question of like, do I monetize it and kind of try to sell it? And that's never been my big strength is selling my own work, you know? So then I'm like, you know, what do I, what do I do with it? And sort of where does it go from here? But I'll, I'll, over the course of time, I will figure it out. I like that attitude. I like that attitude. Um, all right. So Substack is, is what, is there an easy link or something you can shout out for, for people listening? That's a good question. I think it's throwbacks.substack.com. Okay. Yeah. I believe that is the, 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 um, you, but you can find me on Twitter too at Michael Weinreb. Um, you can find my website, which is just my name.com. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for, uh, that was a fun conversation. It was. Yeah. Is there no, there's no like lightning round or anything? We don't do like. We, we can do. We can there do. There does our, have to be standing uh, questions. Uh, I think yeah, left we them do. on the table. I, I did leave. It's like he's on played the table. this game before. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. Let's do it. Go to a creamery ice cream flavor. Oh, man. You know what? I was always a Meyer Dairy guy. Can I say wow. Meyer Dairy? You can. Okay. I, I don't think you can. Was Steve. there a flavor there? Because because <laughs> Mrs. Sam's will tell you that my, all the Meyer Dairy's flavors just taste the same. So was there a flavor at Meyer Dairy? Oh, man. I feel like it was just like strawberry vanilla chocolate, you know, like, okay. like, the, like the combo. Yeah. My dad, I remember I, one time I, I we went there, with, I went there with my dad. And I got tea berry ice cream and my dad never forgave me for it because he was like, this is the most disgusting ice cream I've had in my life. So that's what I remember. Creamery would probably be, I mean, the peachy paterno is pretty good. So I'll throw that out there if you need a creamery answer. All right. That's fine. That's fine. We'll, we'll accept that. Um, you are the athletic director slash czar of Penn State sports for one day and one day only. What what change are you making? You get one change. Um. Okay. Um, we throw back to the 19, like late sixties, early seventies uniforms with the numbers on the helmets. Um, and, uh, was there some, there was something else. There's like a stripe on those uniforms that looks awesome. Okay. <laughs> and we, we wear those, those are our new home uniforms. Like we just, those are the, those are the new Penn state Permanent. home uniforms. And then we go retro with the end zones too, with those little diamond shaped things. I don't know if you remember those yeah. from like the eighties. Those are those are there all the time. I am a big proponent of the what somebody once classified to me as the tennis ball end zones. Those were like the like nineteen nineties to like early two thousand like italic end zone. That is my yeah. They came oh, in with the chipmunk. They came yeah. in with the chipmunk logo at the yeah. same time. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Okay uh, okay. So, I can get behind that but too. I respect the diamond end zone. All right, and then last one. You are back in state college for one night and one night only. What bar are you going to? Oh my God, I don't even know what bars exist there anymore. You, you um, can say a bar that doesn't exist. People have said those. Okay. Well, I would go to a Chinese restaurant that no longer exists, the Golden <laughs> Walk for Chinese food. And then um, I would probably, what bar did I go to? I would. I think we we would often go, is the Allen Street Grill still there? The one above, I, the one on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there still the piano player there? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been up there in a while. I don't know if they've done it, but it's still the upstairs. It's still the up, it's still above the corner room there. Yes. That's like, uh, yeah. I had some good times there. So I guess 
I guess I would say that. Yeah, let's go with that. All right. I respect nice. that. I respect that. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. We we do really appreciate it. Thank you. Steve, I think he was the most like he what is enjoyable interview? Just like what a great discussion. We didn't I one of the reasons why we made this into a double episode, we didn't realize how long it was going because it was just us having a conversation. Um I think the thing that was most interesting to hear is about the research and kind of the the rabbit holes that his brain goes down because that's one of the reasons why I like him so much is is you get to go you his writing prompts me to go down those other rabbit holes of oh I didn't know that this thing happened and and now I need to learn about it um so that was that was interesting and I thought the other thing you know you you've spent a lot of time of your life in state college but how that shapes him as a shaped him as a writer um as well yeah he's just he he writes he puts himself in stories and provides a perspective without preachly putting himself in stories and saying, here, here I am, look at me, right? He he offers context and it's just it's just quality writing. What from we talked about a season of Saturdays, which was the book. He did another book about a chess team in New York years before that, called The Kings of New York, and his Substack follow or Substack that people should follow and, and subscribe to um, because it's good. Um it's just thoughtful, smart, and entertaining, which is a hard combination to find anywhere he he got it there a little bit but i think patience i guess comes to mind with the way he approaches approaches things and that is uncommon in this day and age of of you know when you're covering a team even and that's no knock on anybody it's just there's a churn and he approaches or at least in my eyes it seems like he approaches it more from the like old school magazine writer that takes the time to build the piece and build the story. Um, but even in his newsletter, you know, it's funny to hear him say he just, sometimes he just wings it. Um, Cause it, it, they, they feel very well prepared, very well rehearsed or not rehearsed, but very well um, information gathered. Um, making yeah, I think the research is really strong, but it's, his, it's his curiosity that makes it work so well. Cause he, he enjoys the research. So he's curious. He does it. And that curiosity helps inform the reader and engage the reader as opposed to Michael coming off as, well, I'm smarter than you, here this is, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference between curiosity and trying to prove you're smarter than somebody else. And I think he proves how smart he is by just being curious and writing well. Yeah, I think that was that was fun. Um, there, another Meyer Dairy fan. I feel like somebody else we had on the podcast was a Meyer Dairy you're, fan. I know you're you right, are. I forget who it was, but it's a, it's, it's a strong thing in State College. It is. I, I, I give him the pass, and here's why I give him the pass. He's a townie. Um, or was a townie, and I feel like if you, because you, you're you're a Meyer Dairy family, right? Well, you're you're in the middle. You sit on the fence. Yeah, it depends on where we're closer to tonight. Okay, yeah, no, no, no. all right, all right. Um, well, thank you to Michael for joining us. Um, other than that, we're gonna wrap up this week's uh, little episode, our, our second episode. Um, website is called stuffsummersays.com. On that website, there is a section called with Steve. With Steve. Um. We've got emails. Mine's Darian at stuffsummersays.com. Steve's is Steve at stuffsummersays.com. And lastly, we've got Twitter handles. Mine is Darian. Oh, no, mine is not Darian. Mine is mine is at stuffsummersays. It's usually me that does that stuff. And mine is at Steve is, Sampson. Thank you for carrying this episode, Steve, as always. See ya. Bye. <laughs>